Hey, husband. Yes, wife. Where do Volkswagens go when they get old? Where do they go? The old Volks home. Wow. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Random's Thoughts. I'm husband, she's wife, and we're here to talk to you about math. And by math, I mean addition via subtraction, and that is bands as they pertain to the WOW TCG. You didn't think I was going to start off with math, now did you, wife? Well, since you know my feeling on the subject, and the fact that it's the only class I didn't do well in, yeah, you know my, <laughs> I didn't think you were going to start with that. I don't think you're alone in that. Not too many people are a huge fan of numbers. We're going to jump right into it. We wanted to talk about this specific topic because it was a center of a, a minor debate surrounding Gen Con for 2016. However, it's been an ongoing one for the WoW TCG pretty much through its entire life. For a long time, Upper Deck and Cryptozoic both had really resisted the idea of having bans at all. In fact, when the game ended, Classic still did not have a ban list to the chagrin of many of the players. That being said, for Gen Con 2016, it was determined that there was going to be a ban list. Now, we're going to go over the old ban list for Core and Contemporary and talk about what Gen Con decided to do and then kind of bring in a few other games to see, well, how should this go in the future if we were the ones deciding it. So as we said, we're going to jump into what ultimately Cryptozoic had decided to do with banning specific cards in their core and contemporary format. So for those of you out there that may not remember, there are three distinct formats recognized by organized play as far as constructed goes. So classic is anything ever, and if it was ever printed, you could play it. Then there's contemporary, which is the middle ground, and then core, which was only the most recent sets. Cryptozoic had decided to introduce the ban list because at a certain point they kind of needed it. So for Contemporary it was a little bit longer and those cards included Bottle Light, Gurgle Murgle, Etch Dragonbone Girdle, Leader of the Pack, Savagin the Reckless, Viewless Wings, and Wintervale Disguise Kit. The core ban list was a little bit shorter, only being a, hand, a subset of those, a handful of them, Bottle Light, Gurgle Murgle, Viewless Wings, and Wintervale Disguise Kit. Now, there are a number of reasons why each of those cards ended up on these lists. For the most part, they were obviously meta-defining, and in the last card's case, Wintervale Dis Disguise Kit was a logistical nightmare, which we'll get back to later. That's mostly because the card literally didn't even do what it said on the card. So personally, I don't feel that these cards really at all impact the classic format, and they did end up on the list that was voted on for Gen Con. In my opinion, the closest one that could be considered for a ban, even though really not, is Girl Murgle, but that's mainly because people hate playing against Murlocs, but you can play Murlocs without them, so... Well, even the decks that really, not abused, but as close as you can get <laughs> with Gurgle Murgle is... They weren't directly Murloc-based, at least oh. not the better ones, yeah. <laughs> you just like saying that. I do, I just like making the noise. It was fun in that last event we played at, uh, when Star City Games came by, and we played yeah. in that and got to play Murlocs. Everybody knew everyone was playing Murlocs, so we got demolished, but still. It's still sometimes fun to go unleash the swarm and flip over a bunch of stuff. 
but we're kind of digressing. The uh, the Gurgle Murgle deck that was actually dangerous really was just monster allies and trying to flip him as soon as humanly possible. It, while good, does not really stand the test when it comes to Classic. I agree. I think Classic has so many strong things that by the end were not available in Contemporary and Core that it doesn't need to ban things like Gurgle Murgle or even Bottled Light and uh, Savian, right? I'm yeah, pronouncing one, that right. Yeah, you're talking about the one to stash to shoot yeah. for two. Yeah, I just that's called her Savvy for so long that I forget <laughs> how to actually pronounce her name. Right. I don't think they have much to do in Classic. In Classic, there's so many strong things from random sets that they can pretty much get demolished. Yeah, and we're going to get into what we feel would be an appropriate way to go about determining bands. We're going to possibly propose some stuff. We'll see how it goes, but I don't want to put anything out there at this point because I haven't really thought about it in a while. That being said, the structure for how you determine whether something should be banned should be relatively universally agreed on because it kind of boils down to is this semi-ruining or is it literally ruining the competitive experience? And I think also it needs to be reminded that just because it ruins the play experience in your one play group, even though now we're kind of down to one play group overall, if it's just one play group, another play group might be able to deal with it really easily. And that is another criteria to remember when thinking about banning cards. Yeah, it's a good point that, to consider the idea that, yeah, there are other people, other minds may come up with something. That being said, maybe you did stumble on something kind of like NACC and Vegas, where, ironically enough, two different teams broke the format, just one worse than the other, with the Krasily Aggregator deck. Uh, it was Tim Batow, if I remember correctly, and James Kandazoika, whose name I have to be demolishing, and I feel bad, because I've met him, and he's a, he's a nice guy. Uh, their team came up with Spider Solitaire, and I had the misfortune of playing against it in the Swiss rounds, and yeah, it, it slapped me around. And I had the misfortune of playing against Krazel in the Swiss rounds, and that was pretty much, I think that was the round that I dropped and decided that I was going to go play side events. <laughs> Funny anecdote, the week after that, we went to our local battlegrounds, and I had built the Krazel deck, and everybody was asking, oh, how'd it go? We were reading the coverage, and blah, blah, blah. You know, what, what is this deck? And I sat down, and I said, I don't know if you guys really want to see this. And they're like, no, no, show us. So I sat down and started comboing off and explaining to, you know, just goldfishing it. And they, after a while, their eyes started to roll back in their head, and they're like, uh, okay, what are you doing? And then when I finally showed them, they're like, okay, yeah, that's super dumb. There's really no reason that's not playing. I guess it, it counts as playing a game, but it's not quite the game I think anybody signed up for when they sat down to play WoW. It's mostly watching your opponent play a game. Even then, I'm not sure your opponent who's playing it is having much fun, other okay. than the laughs the first time. Yeah, it's watching your opponent do their math homework and then watching them laugh at your face while they're doing their math If homework. I remember correctly, going into Gen Con 2016, Tim Batow actually posted on the Facebook group saying, yeah, this 100% needs to be banned. I'm 90% certain that he did. I hope I'm not incorrectly attributing to him who had, who had said that, but I'm pretty sure it was him. I could be wrong. But anyway, 
not to digress into too many anecdotes, but moving on. So let's go back to right before Gen Con 2016. Vote was put together to determine what are we going to ban. Now the list, and wife is going to read it off to us, is mostly comprised of the stuff I've mentioned before because it was a starting point, but also a few other cards that were pitched by the community, <laughs> namely a few parts of the Krazzle deck. So, wife? All right, so there were a bunch of options, and some were more popular than others. Uh, our ban list options started with Gurgle Murgle, Krazzle the Aggregator, Slow, Broderick Langforth, Tusk Archite, Bottled Light, Envoy of Mortality, Blizzard, Water Breathing, Hezriana, Aquatic Form, PX238 Winter Wonderbolt, Winter Veil Disguise Kit, and Undying Breath. So as you can tell, the holidays were in WoW were not really good to us as far as providing cards that were fun and balanced. They were just fun. Yeah, so a number of these are, as I mentioned, holdovers from the old bands. And as we went over a minute ago, it, I don't really feel that many of them are all that concerning, at least at this point, unless someone shows up and, hey, maybe you got Gurgle Murgle locked down and you're just going to smash everybody. I don't know. But right now, as far as we've seen, it's fine. It's a playable deck, but you can prepare for it. You can play against it. It's not ruining anyone's experience. The cards that ended up not being considered threats to anyone are Bottled Light, Tuscar Kite, Broderick Langforth, Slow, Krazzle the Aggregator, and Gurgle Murgle. Now, some of them are on the list not because of their overwhelming power, but because of their intense frequency, would you say? Especially when it comes to Broderick and Tuscar Kite? Yeah, a number of them, specifically we're looking at Broderick and Tuscar Kite. Hezriana's another culprit here that if you are playing a deck that could use them, so you're playing a Warlock, or you're playing, well, anything with allies, or you're playing Horde, or especially if you're playing a Horde Warlock with allies, you're playing these, and if you're not playing them, you're probably building your deck wrong. Unless you have some weird thing, such as a Krazzle build, alongside Undying Breath, you're probably running these cards, which is a concern. I know some people find it stifling from a deck building perspective. I'm not one of them. I'm okay with these cards showing up. By definition, there's always going to be powerful cards. And to me, they haven't crossed a threshold of, again, they're not ruining the experience. They just happen to be very good. I agree. Um, I think, in case anybody doesn't know, the main idea of the uh, Krazzle deck is... Burning cards, burning quests, burning quests, whoops, you're dead. Starting with Krazzle. <laughs> well, we may want to give him a little more background on that. It, uh, so basically, as wife said, if you're not all too familiar with it, the idea is to complete a whole bunch of very cheap quests, zero-one cost quests. You'll have a mount out, and you play Undying Breath. So what happens is Undying Breath allows you to play quests from the top of your deck. Well, if they cost zero they get added to the chain. So you just complete quest effects over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, eventually revealing or hitting a Krazzle or multiple Krazzles. Every time Krazzle gets revealed, whether it's from deck, hand, anywhere, he puts a 1-1 token into play. So you have all these waiting quest effects that say reveal X cards from the top of your deck, for example. You stack them all up, 
And then you essentially rig your deck by burning through all these quests so that you're going to reveal Krazel an arbitrarily large number of times. And then you could either play Alexstrasza, and now that gazillion tokens that you've created can't be destroyed. Uh, you could use, I think it was Turian's Soul Pact. It was one of the Warlock heroes where it's you can destroy a bunch of your allies to deal X damage equal to the number of allies. Well, guess what? If you have like a billion allies, or you can just alpha strike them the next turn and, and they're dead. Uh, it obviously has some weaknesses, but it's because you need graph paper. You have to sit there and you really are documenting exactly where things are so you can hit an appropriate number of tokens to finish the game. It ends up being 20 minutes of your opponent desperately trying not to just head desk and pass out from boredom. Yes, and but I think it's important to note that the problem is not Krazzle. Krazzle, I think we both agree, makes is a really interesting card on his own. Right. He doesn't he doesn't facilitate this unending quest line. He just happens to be the one that everybody calls the deck after. Plus, come on, it's at the point at the time of this recording, it's a couple days from Easter. It's a goblin with with bunny ears with Easter eggs on it. Come on. Let's be real. <laughs> Who also happens to be the primary Easter decoration in our house. It is very true. We did frame a few playmats, and basically we rotate the what a long, strange trip it's been playmats for holiday decorations. It's kind of funny when the in-laws come over, and they just look at the two of us funny. So anyway, <laughs> back to Undying Breath. I think what Wife is getting at, and correct me if I'm wrong, Wife, is when we're talking about bands and trying to target bands. The obvious concern is that you go overboard. It's like, oh, well, don't complain about this deck being overpowered because if you ban the parts from it, then the next deck is overpowered. Yes, that's true. So you want to use a scalpel and not a hammer. Yeah. You want to fine-tune what makes a deck overpowered as opposed to just saying anything in this deck is awful. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, make it go away. So that's why ultimately... The cards that were banned were Undying Breath, PX238 Winter Wonder Vault, which was part of another combo. In this case, it was with Krabby Finn. Basically, you turn, you play the Winter Wonder Vault, it turns all your guys into Murlocs. Krabby Finn says whenever it or another Murloc comes out, make a Crab Token. Well, the Crab Token's a Murloc, so guess what? Now you have arbitrarily large number of Murlocs. Oh, but ever it's also... and ever yep. and ever... But even more fun is it's in a mage shell, so now you get interrupts to protect it. Cool story. So, those are kind of easy to wrap your head around why they got the axe. The other one that is important to focus on is Wintervale Skies Kip. Now, this one isn't really overpowered. This one isn't really setting the world on fire. However, the card literally doesn't do what it says it only tangentially is related, and that's because there was a huge amount of errata that was applied to it. Problem being is that now you have to not only remember that it was errata, but what is the errata? And now that we're well beyond the end of the game, we're into the afterlife of the game, so and to speak. And there are no more judges? Yeah, it's, it's just inviting things to become a problem. And that kind of segues into our next section or our next part of the discussion and that is specifically that 
what, how do we decide what gets banned? How do we determine what gets banned? And we're going to reference some of the cards that were brought up in this vote as examples and try and talk a little bit about it, explain why. So the 800-pound gorilla in the room is always magic. It's just the way it is. The game's been around for what seems like forever, and they've set the standards for how card games are both structured, they've influenced how many of them are designed and played. They've organized whole stores into continued existence so we can play our games. It's true. So it, I think it would be beneficial to at least look at what they're doing and say, does this work for the WoW TCG? And in a lot of cases, I think it does. So in Magic, one of their many formats is called, one of them is called Modern. And the idea was that Wizards had arbitrarily, well, not arbitrarily, but they had chosen a point in time where there was a shift in the design process and said, okay, from this point on, these are the cards that are legal in Modern. The idea is that it's going to be an eternal format, the cards are never going to rotate out, but they are going to frequently ban things or keep an eye on things in order to curate it appropriately. So the way that they handle it, and these are more guidelines so that people know what is going on behind the, the, the curtain at, over at Wizards, but there's obviously no hard and fast rule. They didn't give us or didn't provide any specific numbers to say, well, if it's this tall, it can no longer ride this ride sort of thing. So those rules are, if a top-tier deck is consistently winning before turn four, something's got to get done. If the deck is an overwhelming majority of the metagame, or the deck poses a logistical issue. So as we were discussing before, some of these cards fit these criteria and some of them don't. And some of them pseudo-fit the criteria. Right. And there's always that fabled, I guess, watch list that goes on in other games where, okay, we know these cards are pretty close to the brink, so we're going to keep an eye on them, and if they keep pushing it or decks keep pushing it, then we'll step in and do something. I think for the most part, these can apply very well to the WoW TCG both then and now. So going back to our list, Undying Breath, it can certainly win before turn four. It's, it almost always wins before turn four. Well, it, it's pretty consistent because you can go, you have a lot of filter quests. You really just, it's a two-card combo essentially because you need amount and you need Undying Breath. And that's about it. it. It can be disrupted, but if you are not very specific classes, so you're not a mage with interrupts, you don't have instant speed, uh, ongoing ability removal, you don't have, if, basically if you're not a clothy and like access to miniature voodoo mask or something to preempt it or, or discard or something, so rogues could kind of handle it, it you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Plus, it, the unwritten fourth rule that probably should govern all of these, as we kind of started out with, is are things unfun, air quotes. We understand winning is fun. Winning is always fun. I don't think anybody goes into this to lose. Now, when I'm playing in events that I don't really want to play in, mainly when certain people force me into playing hey, hey, into hey. that gap. Some um, of us resemble that remark. Uh-huh. So sometimes I go into it to lose, but most people want to try to win, and winning is fun. However, 
and I, people get mad at me for saying this, but we're playing a game. At the end of the day, we all like to be called gamers. And if we're not interacting with an opponent, if our opponent is just sitting there staring at us the whole time, I think that goes against what we try to call ourselves and what we try to do, which is play games and have a good time and try to think on our feet and have... Interactivity, I think, is the, the key word that you threw out there, wife, because it it's a sword that cuts both ways. You can have, I guess, too much interactivity and it gets super boring where it's just... Got, there are guys on the board and they're just number blocks and there's nothing interesting happening because then obviously you have to interact with my guys and I have to interact with yours if protectors are like the only thing. That being said, there's obviously the other extreme, the undying breath builds that you just watch your opponent play. I think everybody can agree that there is a healthy middle ground. It's just always where do you draw the line in the sand? And it's going to feel unfair to some people no matter what. But I think for the most part, it's a a moving target that can be hit most of the time at the very least. I agree. It's something that's going to evolve. So to us, things like the Winter Wondervolt and Undying Breath fall into that category of, well, hey, you're winning quickly and it's super difficult to deal with it. I like to throw Bogmara in there because it wins very quickly. I know wife hates that. He likes to throw Bogmara in there because he's sick of playing against Bogmara. Well, he's nice just if a you little play something else. He's just a little salty, is really what it is. Yeah, comes that's down what to. it is. It is. But the point is, is that there has to be a a point, and I think turn four is reasonable. And see, Bogmara usually wins on turn five, so I'm that's good. not even true. Sometimes it, it wins earlier than that. But point is, arbitrary turn number four. Five. I, I feel like that's okay because aggro decks should exist. Quicker decks, whether it's combo or aggro, should exist. They should be part of the meta. They shouldn't be the only decks in the meta, but they should be a, a viable build and strategy. I agree. And there should also be ways to deal with those. And I think that is what we're going to get into next with some of the other things that possibly need to get banned. Yeah. So moving on from the quote-unquote turn four rule. The second one is that the deck is an overwhelming majority of the meta. Now, this would have been more appropriate when the game was still alive. When you walk into your weekly realms, when you walk into any sort of regional and every single person is playing Murlocs. Or at least that happened to me a couple of times. I think I sat down against five Murlocs in a row. That being said, I don't. I wasn't too worried about that particular meta because Murlocs can like they had some severe weaknesses. Well, yeah. I mean, it was Murlocs, so I wasn't that upset. But there were Murlocs. Right. The idea is that if everyone and their brother felt that deck A was so much better that you could not play anything else unless it was something to beat deck A that's a sign of a problem, and it needs to be addressed. Since we're looking at, well, Gen Con was what, 16 people, 15 people? 17 people? Might have been 17. Well, somewhere, something short of 20. If 10 of those decks were one, you know, if they, 10 of them were Bogmara or 10 of them were uh, Jeremiah or Nicholas Merrick or whatever, 
it might be a problem, but it's a little bit difficult to gauge at this point in the game. We also had a problem when voting um, because with such a small sample size, we weren't really sure what was going to show up. A lot of people focused on particular cards that are involved in many, many, if not all decks. And this is why Broderick Langforth, uh, Tuscar Kite, and Hezriana were all on the chopping block of the votes. They didn't actually get voted off the island, but it got pretty dicey there for a while for my deck of love. Well, that's it is a legitimate point to address that it doesn't necessarily have to be a deck. It is valid to be concerned if specific cards are showing up in every deck. One discussion wife and I had had was, if you think about it, if you have all four ofs, you have 15 four ofs in your deck. That's 60 cards. Yes. So if you're playing a Horde Warlock, you're down to 12 right off the bat. Because you're, if you're running Kite, Broderick, and Hezriana, you might shave a number here or there. So maybe three Hezrianas, one on the board, three Kites or something like that. But then you got to think about Cairn. There, the issue of staples is something to be concerned with. That being said, I don't think that the cards should be banned for that reason, especially if they're providing something useful. So if their utility to the game as a whole, so they're providing more, either better or more unique circumstances than they are taking away, then I think we're okay with leaving it. For example, Hezriana does suppress certain allies. If you are a costly ally and you are not untargetable or have some innate Hezriana defense, it's bad news for you. However, that doesn't mean that Hezriana isn't serving a useful purpose because let's say we remove her, is it going to be worse? We don't know. Or is it really that bad that people can't play five to seven cost clunky allies that have whatever ability? It's kind of tough to say, but it is something to consider before you we just say, oh, well, Hezriana's in every Warlock deck. Get rid of her. So the third criteria is it's a logistical problem. This is where we circle back to Wintervale Disguise Kit. Or really also the Undying Breath problem of, hey, game one took 25 minutes, took 35 minutes, took whatever. And someone may be playing at an appropriate pace. They are not slow playing you. It's just the deck takes forever to win. That's a problem because, well, we'll need to eat. We all want to play other games if we're at, say, Gen Con. We all want to play more games of WoW. And we all occasionally can't. want to go home and take a nap. Yeah, that happens too. <laughs> so point is, is that whether it's the games take forever or they cause some kind of actual in-game logistical problem or they cause a nightmare for the judging staff, similar to what Disguise Kick could potentially do, that's a good reason for things to get the axe. Well, that's... Pretty much how Magic handles it. As I mentioned before, there's a fourth unwritten rule that people mention occasionally and that something's unfun, air quotes. And the idea is that, look, this card is not overpowering. The deck it's in is not overwhelming. But you know what? It still sucks to play against. And sometimes that happens. And maybe there are cards that are like that. For example, in the voting for Gen Con, Slow, uh, Blizzard... Cards like that can be super frustrating to play against. I don't play a lot of Mage. I tried to get Wife to play it when she first started playing, because that was a class she was playing in WoW at the time. 
but I, f I feel they're okay and they do provide useful tools. Personally, I don't mind playing against slow because it does provide a different play experience than getting run over by Twilight Vanquisher Nolan on turn four every game. I think I agree. And I think there's a difference between being unfun in the way that it completely shuts down the game. You're not actually playing an interactive game and cards that are annoying as hell. And I think the annoying cards have to be allowed, even if they make you want to tear your hair out. It's a very fine line to walk, but you do have to be careful when you say, well, I don't like this and it's not fun. Well, yeah, but other people might find it fun. And it's it's tough, and I know I'm guilty of it, where I'm like, that that's ridiculous. Why does this card exist? Well, there's a reason that it exists sometimes. So there are a few cards on this list. We're looking at it real quick. I mean, Aquatic Form is pretty close to Undying Breath. There's really no reason for that card to exist except for degenerate combos. There's another one. So that's the Druid one. We have the Warlock one. There was a Shaman one, Water Walking, I believe. And since I don't have it in front of me, I'm sure someone will correct me. But that's another one that falls into the category of it could probably get the axe just because the only time it's really going to show up is in a combo that's not going to make anybody happy. Hezriana, Blizzard, Envoy of Mortality, Slow, stuff like that, I feel are cards that are strong, and I know I've seen arguments that Envoy is abusing the rules to some extent because it did not exist, or existed prior, rather, than Aberration, which is what it's primarily used in conjunction with now. That being said, I think that's actually an interesting rules interaction that's a benefit of the classic format, that you get to have these quirky things that... Yes, it is strong. Yes, it probably wasn't intended because those cards were so separated, although in design they may have known it was coming down the pipe. But it's cool to go back and say, oh, well, I have this card from War of the Ancients block and this other one from Heroes of Azeroth or something and put them together and it's like, wow, this is a really fun deck. And I think the Aberration and Envoy interaction is one of those. I can understand the arguments against it. I don't really agree with them, though. What about you, wife? I agree. I think that there can be arguments made against them, but like we said, there's a difference between being strong and being absolutely crazy. And I think that's where we have to toe the line. Yeah, there's a lot of these, as we said, that are showing up in a lot of decks, or they, <laughs> they're not exactly great to see on the other side of the board. But you have to take a step back and be careful about it when you're talking about permanently removing something. Well, we could always change it back, but semi-permanently removing it from the game. That being said, there probably should be some additional bans. I think we need more data, and hopefully there'll be a whole lot of discussion in the Facebook group or elsewhere on the Reddit that people will talk about, hey, I'm running into this, how do you deal with it? Or... We're, how are you losing to that? This, you know, We don't have a problem with that with these builds. And hopefully as we hopefully revive the game a little bit, we'll be able to see more of these discussions. Exactly. A lot more data needs to be collected for this because Classic really didn't get a whole lot of attention until well, really when the, the game was kind of on a downturn. Well, those are our thoughts on the bands. If you want to reach out to us, 
leave us a comment, a discussion, or if you want to tell us why we're completely crazy and not wanting to ban Hezriana, please send us an email at randomsthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. That's randomsthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. Hey everybody, Husband here, and we're going to take a walk on the digital side for today's Off Topic. In this particular segment, I wanted to talk about a game that I've been playing well for a little bit over a year now, maybe a little bit longer. It was a Kickstarter game that I didn't discover until well after the Kickstarter ended, and it was in uh, beta at that point. So I've been playing it for a significant amount of time, and the game is called Duelist. If you're not familiar with it, you can definitely look it up. It's Duelist with a Y. Don't ask me why. I honestly have no idea. So it's D-U-E-L-Y-S-T. It's a, for lack of a better way to put it, miniature-based card game. So you have your generals. You have, which is an analog to heroes in in the WoW TCG. You also have your deck of cards. But when you play minions, they actually go out onto the board. And not the board as in a Hearthstone sense. There's actually a 9 by 5 grid, and your guys move around the map, and you can, some effects will say, hey, push that guy to the other side of the map. So he's, for all intents and purposes, out of the game until he can work his way back in. Similarly, there are things that impact which space you're standing on, or they only impact spaces around which things certain uh, minions or other characters are standing on. So there are a number of different unique facets about this, aside from simply the fact that, well, it, it's kind of a miniatures card game. The game actually just released a new set. They, among other unique aspects of the game, in their last two sets, they've gone towards a different model for the way they sell boosters. And by that, I mean, instead of having your typical, I buy a booster and it's random stuff, which they did have for their initial expansion, Denizens of Shimzar, in Rise of the Bloodborne and Ancient Bonds, they actually introduced a model where you can just buy the whole set, 20 bucks, and you get play sets of every single card. If you were to buy individual packs with the in-game currency, which is gold, similar to how Hearthstone functions, of those two sets, you actually get a play set of three of the cards. So you can then acquire the rest of the set very quickly, and it, it personally, I love it because it's, okay, I dropped my, I bought it with in-game currency because I play a lot, and I bought my 16 or 20 packs, whatever it was, uh, and I got the whole set, and I didn't have to worry about trying to craft everything, which is also an option, but you for some of it, for the new stuff, you actually cannot craft it, which is something to keep in mind. But it's a free-to-play game. You have your crafting methods, although Hearthstone kind of bullies a lot of the other digital card games around from a population perspective. This one's a lot of fun. I think it's much more generous than most other games out there, and I have played a lot of them. And it also is simultaneously keeping me from filling my basement with more cardboard, which my wife, I'm sure, is very happy about. So if you get the chance, take it. Take a look at Duelist. It's a lot of fun. It's very easy to get into, and it definitely has a unique and interesting take on this, I guess what we'll call the standard card game model.